Hey, Will DelVal here, one of the pastors at Crossbridge Community Church, and we are so excited that you've decided to either watch or listen to this message. And it is our hope and our prayer that you are encouraged by it today. To get more connected or to give to our mission of loving God, loving people, and serving the world, you can visit crossbridgecc.org for more information. We pray that you are blessed by the reading of God's word and find yourself taking one step forward in your faith in Jesus today. In true Crossbridge fashion, would you turn with me to the biography of Jesus found in the Gospel of Matthew, and uh, we will be reading from chapter 20. So as you're turning there, and we're thinking about submission. I actually have been brought back to a, one of my favorite movies, my favorite Marvel movies, uh, The Black Panther. The Black Panther is such a good movie. And if you haven't seen it right after service today, just, just go watch it. It's so good. There comes a point when Prince T'Challa, who's the soon-to-be king of Wakanda, is beginning his process of being coronated. And in order to do that, there's a challenge ceremony where each of the tribes say, you know, do you want to challenge him for the throne? And everybody's like, nah, nah, we're good. And right when the moment comes that you think, oh, he's got the throne, he's, he's ready, the tribe from up in the mountains comes and their leader Mbaku challenges him for the throne. They put on their masks, they get their weapons ready and they battle one on one for the kingship. And there comes a moment at the end of this fight sitting on the waterfall where Prince T'Challa looks at Mbaku and he's got him in this submission hold, a great submission hold. And he looks at him and he says, yield, don't make me kill you. And M'Baku, with no oxygen going to his brain, his eyes are bugging out, and he says, I would rather die. And Prince T'Challa, struggling to hold him, simply says, you have fought with honor. Your people need you. Yield. And M'Baku taps out. M'Baku throws his hand, and at that point, all of the weapons, everything is gone. And he takes it and he gets up and in the shoulders of his warriors, he climbs back up the mountain and Mbaku walks away defeated. For us, we look at that moment in our culture and we say, he tapped out, he lost, he's the loser. Whether he lived or died didn't matter. King T'Challa, he won. And so often we see Submission as the sign of defeat in the U.S. and in the Christian church. It's like waving the white flag in war to say, I've given up, there's no more hope. Mbaku lost, his story is over. But I need to tell you that this is never the way that Jesus sees submission, is that the story is over. If you've ever seen Black Panther, you know that King T'Challa would never have taken back the throne without the help of the submissive, leader who ends up becoming the champion Mbaku of his people. You see, the way of Jesus is so often that the path of Jesus helps us to understand that sometimes there is more power in submission than there is in victory. Submission is essential for the Christian life, and I feel like it's so important for me just to be upfront with you, very candid with you when it comes to this step and this topic, because in my opinion, there's probably no step, discipline, or teaching in the church that has done more damage and been more destructive in the world that we live in than this teaching right here. 
Few things can put us into bondage like religion can. And submission in, in the way that the Bible talks about it, in the way that Jesus lives it out, has been taken so far out of context, distorted into something that looks nothing like what we are going to look at. And it has been used endless times from leaders in the church, both the Protestant church, the Catholic church, and church leaders across the board in Christendom. This teaching has been used to abuse people. There's been heresy in the name of submission, sexual abuse in the name of submission, financial, uh, lack of financial accountability, accountability for the sake of submission. There's been political power and jockeying in the name of submission. Slavery and wars throughout history in the name of submission, even our own country's story, whether you want to believe history or not, when you begin to look at how we started, it was in the name of rejection of one country and submission in another. But using scripture in a way that submission was never talked about. Marriages have been destroyed in the church in the name of submission. Children have been abused in the name of submission. And I just need to say this to the women and to the children who are watching, and maybe you are a child and this affects you because you've been in the church for a long time, but if you've been in a church where submission has been used against you, it's been used to shame you, to harm you, um, if this has been part of your story, I, I just wanna say that I am sorry. And I feel like it's important that I say as a leader that I repent of that sin and say that there should be no place for this step of what Jesus calls us to, to be used against you, to force you into a position or into a place that God never designed you to be in. And I need to tell you that as a 40-year-old white male who's a church leader, who's a pastor, a husband, and a dad, it's just very easy for me to be in a position where I can overlook how this has affected so many simply because it hasn't hit me as hard. And I'm sorry if this has hit you hard. And I need to confess that because when we jump into this, I don't want you to be thinking, how's he gonna use this to beat me? I wanna invite you into a life of submission that God calls us to because I don't think that was what Jesus intended. Submission has been preached to others so many times but very rarely lived out by those preaching it. And I need to tell you that Jesus never commanded us to teach submission so that we could gain power from the poor and the powerless. Instead, he calls us to a life of submission to the poor and the powerless. And when I say submission, here's simply what I mean so that we're all on the same page. Submission really is the ability to lay down the burden of always having to get our way. Let me say that again for you, just so you have it here. Submission is the ability to lay down the burden of always needing to get things our way. I use that word burden there very, very intentionally because uh, let's be real. When we live life and we work, most of us expect to have things go our way, don't we? And when things don't go our way, when they continue to go a different way, living that life is exhausting. 
We can't enjoy anything when we're trying to control everything because no matter what situation we're in, we're looking for those side avenues, those side jobs to figure out how can we work this conversation to that conversation to get to this place because that's where I want to go. And we begin to see people as pawns. We begin to see projects as just, you know, these steps to get to where we want things to be. That kind of life is exhausting and we allow the spirit of control the throne of our heart and we begin to try to control every day from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to bed and any situation that feels out of control at that point becomes a critical situation that we need to fix and when everything's critical we fry we lose it and you may say well jimmy if i give in and i choose to submit and not get my own way things are going to be chaos even more if i didn't control my life do you know how chaotic it would be and I would say, yes, just as chaotic as it's chaotic either way. Welcome to life. Life is chaotic. And when you choose a life of submission, there are some major benefits that are going to come with not getting your own way. And that is simply this. When you learn that life's not about getting your own way, it's really freeing when it doesn't go your way. You don't consider everything in front to you. Like, oh, okay, it's just the way it is. The spirit of control that sits on your heart no longer sits there, and it's Christ who sits there. Ah, when he's in control, you don't have to be. It's very freeing. We can learn to be okay with not getting our way, and we can live then to respond to what God wants and to do things his way, not the way that we think it needs to be done. And if you think that that's not possible and you're saying, Jimmy, those benefits sound great, but I'm not willing not to get my own way. I need to tell you that Jesus lived life this way. Jesus lived life in such a way that he gave up everything for people. Let's look at the passage that you're at in Matthew chapter 20. Let's look at what Jesus has to say in Matthew chapter 20. It says this, but Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those who are under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be the first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus didn't just say this. Jesus lived this out. His entire life, if you continue in the biography of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, all you see with Jesus is a life lived in submission to everybody. A life lived in submission, not getting his own way over and over and over. Think about how, you know, who did Jesus submit to? Jesus specifically submitted to others. He lived a life of interruption. How many times in these stories do we read Jesus was on his way to a destination, and when he's on his way, someone cut him off. Someone interrupted him. Someone came to him and said, but Jesus, I need you to do what I want in this moment. I need you to help me do this thing. I have a healing that's needed. I have a kid who's hurting. What did he do when desperate people interrupted his plan and his life, his agenda, his next step? What did he do? Did he send them away and say, I don't have time for this? 
Did he look at these women and children and these desperate Roman soldiers and say to them, listen, I know that you're busy, I'm busy, there's a lot going on. If you talk to my disciples, they'll put you on the calendar for like three weeks from now. I'll see your kid who's sick. If they're dead, we'll raise them. You know, we'll figure out what to do. It's no problem. Did he book it down the line? No. A life of submission to others means that Jesus stopped in his tracks and he submitted to what they needed. And do you know who he stopped for? He stopped for the powerless. The women, the children, the poor, the sick. And when the crowds that were around who were healthy and strong and the church of the day, the temple and the leaders, they all began, even his own disciples, to say to these powerless people, you need to shut up. You need to go away and you need to just stay down there because we're on our way. Do you know what Jesus stopped and said and how he submitted to the powerless? Jesus stopped and said, what do you need? I will come with you. Let me help you up because you can't walk. Where are your accusers now? Go and sin no more. When you read the biography of Jesus, you realize time after time after time how he submitted to the powerless, to the others who had nothing that everyone else tried to shut up and push down. He gave a voice and built up. He put himself less than them, which built them up. Did that submission mean he lost? He lived a life of submission. He also lived a life not only in submission to others, but in submission to God. And if you turn six chapters over into Matthew chapter 26, we see this beautiful passage of Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Would you read with me in Matthew chapter 26? We're going to start in verse 39. It says this. He went on a little farther and bowed his face to the ground, praying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And then he returned to the disciples. He found them asleep and he said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me for even an hour? Keep watch and pray so that you won't give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And then Jesus left them a second time and he prayed, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away, Unless I drink it, your will be done. Even at the end of his life, Jesus never loses control. And he finds himself in a place where what he feels, he's not hiding from God. He's saying, God, I recognize that something's coming my way. Father, death is on the doorstep. And I don't want this. If there's another way, I'll submit to the other way. I'll submit to anything else. But the truth is, God, this is not about me. It's about you. It's about your will be done, not my will be done. His entire life has been nothing but submitting to what God wants when God wants it, which makes it easier to submit to the people when they are coming in contact with him at all times. They're no longer interruptions. They become opportunities because of submission. Because it's not about what Jesus wants. It's about what the Father wants. And he knows that because he's been with them from the very beginning of his life to the very last prayer he utters on the cross. You see, not only was it to others and to God, but we see Jesus submitting to the governing authorities. 
When you read the biographies of Jesus, I love when the religious leaders come to him and they say to him, listen, Jesus, here's money. Should we pay taxes? You know, should we do this? And they're really trying to trap him and kind of say, like, we can get you in trouble here. And Jesus is like, yo, give me the coin. He looks at the coin. He's like, whose face is on it? And they're like, well, Caesar's face. It's fine. Give to Caesar's what's Caesar's. Give to God what's God's. You know, he could have said, don't pay taxes at all. Give it all to the poor. Don't pay taxes at all. Give it all to these people. It's not what he says. He says, do you got rules? Submit to the rules. It's not that big of a deal. Submit. You don't like what they're doing? Fine. Is what they're asking you to do illegal? No. Is it anti-biblical? No. So do it. I love even at the end of his life, before, right after he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's brought before a very important politician who holds the authority to kill him or to free him in his hands. This is the position that this leader is in. And he goes before Jesus, and, and Jesus is brought before Pilate right before he's about to be crucified. And, and Pilate's like, all right, let me figure out who this dude is. And if you go into John chapter 19, you get this beautiful conversation between Jesus and Pilate. And, and here's what it says, starting in verse 9. He took Jesus back to the headquarters again and asked him, where are you from? And Jesus gave him no answer. Why don't you talk to me? Pilate demanded. Don't you realize that I have the power to release you or to crucify you? When you look at this, it's like, who, who thinks they're in control here? Pilate thinks he's in control. I'm going to bring you back. I win, you lose. I hold all the cards here. And the fact that you're not talking to me is actually an affront to who I am. I don't like that you're throwing shade at me. I don't like that you're giving me all this talk. Like, you just need to, just come on, give me the answers. And what does Jesus say to him? What does Jesus say to the man who's perceived in control? Let's pick it back up. Then Jesus said, you would have no power over me unless it was given to you from above. So the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. And he looks at Pilate and he says, you think you are in control. You would have no control if God didn't give that to you. You could try to be at the top of the food chain and exercise all your power and authority, but it means nothing because I know the one who's at the top. And the one who's at the top says, I don't need to be there. He's always been in control and I could just be where I'm at. I don't have to answer you. I don't, I'm not accountable to you. And the truth is, you're in a really, really sticky situation because it's the other people who handed me to you. Their sin is even greater. He's almost freeing Pilate from like, dude, this responsibility is not yours. You don't have to do this. Even in submission, who carries the power in this situation? It's Jesus. He's never lost who he is in the midst of submission. Pilate's not happy, the accusers aren't happy, and Jesus Christ, who has lived this perfect life, is then accused, falsely condemned and crucified. He is murdered, and the one person who has ever lived, who never should have died because he was sinless, submitted to death itself. He had no reason to submit to death, and yet he did. He gave up the right to victory, and it would be a perceived loss to us, wouldn't it? He freely gave his life, and as he's giving his life, we realize from John 16, we realize from the rest of these Gospels that when he gave his life, do you know who was on his mind? It was you and it was me. He submitted his life for ours. 
His sinlessness for our sin, that all of our sin, all of our baggage, all of our control issues and power flexing, he says, I will take it all and submit to death so that you, the condemned, the voiceless, the poor, and the powerless would have that voice. This is the story of Jesus for us. And his disciples then go and they take this to the next level. Man, you want to talk about submitting. They they submitted all over the place to people. They were trying to learn to lead, trying to learn how to organize things. But life was lived with submission in mind because this is what Jesus lived out. And if you begin to look at the letters of Paul, and he describes how to live life as a Christian around the table. And if you're watching today and you are not a disciple of Jesus, you have not given your life over to him to say, Jesus, I I trust you for my salvation. I confess my sin to you. And I want to apprentice under you for the rest of my life to love people and learn how to do this. Listen, I, I want to allow you to kind of come around the kitchen table with us right now because what Paul has to say is a kitchen table conversation to everybody. Paul writes over and over to the church, and those of you who have dedicated your life to Jesus, he talks to us all the time about what does it mean to live this out? How do you live out the apprenticeship of Jesus? How do you live out the life of Jesus around your table, in your home, in your neighborhood? What are you supposed to do? A couple of weeks ago, we asked that you would soap Ephesians three times. And soaping is our way of reading scripture. And if you want to jump in and read with us, jump online, crossbridgecc.org soap. You can get a card and join us as we read scripture daily together as a church. It's the primary thing that we do together. And we asked you to read Ephesians chapter 5 for the purpose of we were using it all the time in this series and committing that to help you understand that Scripture plays itself out not just in one moment, but in all our moments. And there's this really wild passage in Ephesians chapter 5 that can easily get abused. But the first four chapters, all we see is this apostle of Jesus who's planting these churches with divisiveness where it could easily come in because of Jews and Gentiles, men and women, old and young, and they're starting to fight. And he's like, whoa, whoa, back off, guys. You need to begin to get together. You need to begin to unify and work out these issues, just like Jesus did. And they're like, great, how do we do it? What are we supposed to do? And if you jump into Ephesians chapter 5, you look at verse 21, and, and just look me in the eyes with this. Please, the Apostle Paul says to the church in Ephesus, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He hasn't given any specifications to who one another is in Ephesians chapter 5. He has not elevated or, or, or pushed down anybody at this point. He is saying, all of you, you need to learn to submit to each other. Not just to do it, but because this is what Christ has done. And if you want to revere Christ, if you want to hold him high, you need to go low. This is what it means to submit to Christ. In that point, and I'm not going to read all of Ephesians chapter 5 and the beginning of Ephesians chapter 6, but I would encourage you to do that. Listen, 
Paul goes in and he begins to explain the different situations that we could be in. What are we supposed to do to submit? And he addresses a couple of people, and again, this could get out of context for many, so I want to keep it as broad as I can, but he begins to address the women, the children, and the slaves. And he says to the women, you submit to your husbands because he's the head of the household. And children, you submit to your parents and obey them for it's good in the Lord. And to the slaves or the servants of that day, slavery is used in a different way there. So um, whatever word you need to use, you use. But he says to the servants and to the workers of that day, listen, you need to submit to your boss and work your tail off. Work as if you're working for Christ, not for them. And doing that, they will see something different. And here's what's wild is it's easy to look at this and say, man, Paul must hate women, kids, and servants. Like, look at what he's telling them to do. Actually, I've thought that for a long time, but as I've looked at this, what I've begun to realize is simply that these sections of people that he addresses were never really addressed. When someone wrote a letter to a church, a congregation, or people, they never addressed the women, the kids, or the servants. They simply addressed the men and the leaders, the businessmen, the dads, the husbands. You get the attention. These people, they're side people. They're periphery. Whatever. And what Paul does is he gives attention to the powerless, those who have had no elevation. He brings them up and he says, you believe that you've got no choice in this. But when you're sitting at the table of Jesus and we're having dinner together, you have a choice in submission. While our culture forces this on you, you don't have to live that life. You get to choose this life. And what he said was not unrealistic for that time. I would even say for our time. It's a universal truth, but it's an invitation to say, welcome to the table. And he turns his attention to the men. And when he turns his attention to the men, it actually gets a bit uncomfortable. It just does, so you know that. And if you're watching this in your man, this gets uncomfortable because he then begins to push against every cultural norm that they has, have. And they, he's like, listen, if you're a husband, yes, I'm asking your wife to submit to you because you're the head of the household, but do me a favor, love your wife like Christ loved the church. You give yourself up for her. Your privilege in marriage is not to get what you want, but it's to give her what she does, what she needs. Her worth and her value is not just a baby maker, not just a homekeeper, not just a you parent around. That's not it. She has value and worth at the table and you need to submit to her and give up everything for her. That would have destroyed the men of that time. He looks at the fathers and he says, listen, I, I get that your kids are frustrating, but stop exasperating them. Stop forcing them and pushing them into anger. You can't just say things because you're dad. You've got to honor them because they are people made in the image of God. Regardless of their age or size, you need to respect them. Kids obey your parents. Oh, okay, dads, stop burning them up. And if you're a boss, you need to start looking at your workers like they have value. They're not simply there to get the job done. They have families. They are husbands or dads or workers. They are people. And stop treating them like slaves to just get what you want done and not paying them enough, skirting them on their hours and what they do. You honor them and serve them. Submit to them. 
This would have been one of the most difficult teachings, not for the women, the children, and the workers. This was a difficult treating, a teaching for the men of the church because men, let's just be honest, we live in a culture where we're told to excel, we're told to win, we're told to flex and to show how good you are. But the truth is the gospel of Jesus says you should not be doing this. We should be giving up all authority that we have for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the poor, the powerless, those who have no voice. We submit to them to bring voice. I would love to say it was a teaching for them, but it's a teaching for us. This is universal for us. And if Jesus taught it, lived it, and Paul reinforced it, this is not for them, it's for all of us. Listen guys, this week I wanna call you to a life of submission to, to three things, number one is to God. When we submit our life to God, we simply say, in our times of prayer and meditation, you remember those first couple weeks, we're saying, God, what do you want? with my day. Let me start my day with you, not Facebook. Let me start my day with you, not Instagram. Let me start my day with what you want, not a honey-do list. Let me start my day with what you want, not a COVID screening to get my kids to go to school or not to school in this time. You know, let me, let me hear from you first and submit my day to you before I have my agenda of what I have to do. Our life should start with submission to God all the time like Jesus is dead. This is the life of submission. And when we submit to God, we submit to his word. I, I know that some of you are thinking, like, Jimmy, you talk about this all the time. Aren't you sick and tired of saying, like, read the Bible, dude? No, I will never get sick and tired of this. This is not just a book to be read. This is a foundation to stand on. Jesus said these very words are the words of life. And if you want to live life, you have to know what's in here. There's no option to this. And I'll tell you this, I don't like everything that's in here. There are some things in here that I, they make me uncomfortable. They make me just think, I don't wanna forgive people like that. They're jerks. But what's the call if I submit to scripture? You forgive, how many times? 70 times seven, like just, just keep forgiving, Jimmy. Keep honoring, Jimmy. Shut your mouth, Jimmy. Pray for your enemies, Jimmy. This is our calling. And so wherever you are, I want to invite you to submit to God through reading scripture, even when it's uncomfortable. It's not a suggestion, it's a mandate. We follow what this says at Crossbridge. I want to invite you to the table where we read this together. Not only do we submit to God, but we submit to others. Um, go read Ephesians 5, please. Just go read the letters that Paul writes to everybody. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Go read, you know, First and Second Timothy and Titus and, and all these, you know, for, oh, there's so many good letters. Um, how do you treat people? You submit to them. You submit to them. There is no such thing in any relationship as a dominant partner. Jesus never calls us to be a dominant boss, a dominant husband, a dominant wife, a dominant parent, a dominant co-worker. No, no, no. He says you should be a submissive person. The life that Jesus calls us to, he was not a dominant savior. He was a servant leader. Why? Why do we focus so much on getting what we want out of life and from people? We are so addicted to control that when things don't go our way, we flip out. I do this every day and it kills me. I have an expectation of control and I can't just submit to things won't go my way. It's hard, I know that. But this is the calling 
to look at the people around us and saying, where are you taking and pushing your power on people? Where are you pushing down? When God's saying, get your hands off of that, they need to be raised up. Get under them to lift them up. We submit to others. And finally, the third place is to submit to political leaders. You didn't like that one, did you? You see, this has the possibility of dividing our church, and I believe it has divided the church as a whole. And it simply is this. Um, you want to know how to submit to leaders? Go read Romans chapter 13. Go read Titus chapter 3. Go into Scripture and see what it says, because I don't want you to hear what I have to say. Read what Scripture has to say about submitting to your leaders, because Jesus talks about it, Paul talks about it, the disciples live it out. It's written all over the Old Testament. And today, in the 21st century, I don't care who you voted for, our call is to submit. And whether you like the current president, the future president, whoever, I don't care. It doesn't matter, because unless what they are calling all of us to do as a church and as disciples of Jesus is against a biblical mandate, we are called to submit. If you're thinking, I, I, I don't get it, Jimmy. We did a series a couple of weeks ago called How Would Jesus Vote? It was right before this series. You could go back and watch those three episodes at any time you want on YouTube. It, it's, it's great. Just binge watch it. Get a good feel for it. This is our calling as disciples of Jesus. And as Christians, I, I don't care what party you voted for because we are called as citizens of heaven, to look and to obey differently. It is time to stop fighting about everything. And it is time to start loving each other and submitting to one another, regardless of if you're red, you're blue, or you chose not to vote in this. Get over yourself. Even if you think you got your way this time or didn't get your way, it doesn't matter. Submission is God's always been in control. And listen. When we step in to a life of submission, we are finally free at that moment to love other people. Their dreams, their value, their worth, they become important to us. And we then enter into this wonderful, new, and glorious freedom. The freedom that we could give up our rights for the sake of others. And for the first time, you and I will be able to love people unconditionally. We will no longer be concerned about getting what we want when we want it. We give up the right to demand that people would return love to us in a way that we would expect. We give up the right to be treated in a certain way. We're like, it doesn't matter. We can rejoice with others in their successes. We can mourn and grieve with people in their failures and losses. And it's not a huge deal anymore if our life and our plans get messed up, if their plans succeed. We discover that it's far better to serve our neighbor than to have things our own way. Do you know the liberation that comes with giving up your rights? It means that you're set free from the bubbling anger and the bitterness when you feel that someone doesn't act towards you the way that you think that they should. You do not have to respond with anger and bitterness anymore. It means, it means at last that you are able to break the vicious curse of our culture that simply says, if you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. But if you trip me, I'll trip you twice. It means that you are free for the first time to obey Jesus' command to love your enemies and to pray for those who persecute you. And this is the way, the life, and the teachings of Jesus. This is the gift of submission.
It's the release of the burden of always having to have things go our way. And instead, Crossbridge, I want to invite you into this as we close. I want to invite you into the disruption of life, to all the interruptions, and to the disappointment that comes in life like Jesus did. Because when we submit to him, to God, to others, and understand that this is just going to be part of life, we have the ability to lay down the burden of always having to get things our way. We are no longer the center. We are no longer the most important. We put others before ourselves because Jesus never commanded us to teach submission so that we could gain power and authority over those who have no power. Instead, he calls us to a life of submission for the poor and the powerless. This is a cornerstone of our faith. And I believe that for us at Crossbridge and part of our family, it's time to start living this out. So the real question is, who's ready to give up that burden? Who's ready to say things don't have to go my way? And that's okay. This is the way of Jesus. Crossbridge, I love you. I miss you. I cannot wait to be with you again. And I hope and I pray that you would find a life that is fulfilling as you lift others up, not having to be at the center, and find yourself looking more like Jesus step after step after step. God bless you guys. Mm-hmm.